Buongiorno, everyone, and welcome to our new episode of Rediscovering Italian America. Today, I have on Marion Mazzarella, Lodge 505's very first president and female president of the Lodge. And I also have on our current president, Holly Sprout, and she is the third female president of the Lodge. One of the most important things I wanted to focus on with today's meeting is the presence of the female within the Italian American family and how we, we as females tend to carry on the culture into the next generation. And we are the ones, or how I've talked about in other episodes, the Madonnas that we venerate down through the generation. So I wanna to start today, Marian, uh, introduce yourself and tell me a little bit about uh, where you've grown up, uh, where is your family from, and uh, you can start from the beginning of when did you realize you were Italian-American? Well, I really realized I was Italian-American almost as soon as I could think about it because of my Italian grandparents who came here from uh, Greci, Italy, in the Avellino province. And uh, also my grandmother's sister had, and her husband had an Italian grocery store, Dio Gardi's in uh, Canton. And uh, we, and also the, my dad's godparents were from Norsha's bakery, Rose and John Norsha baptized him. So I was, I was just a part of the Italian culture Whole, you, you know, you're pretty much a fixture of Italian culture here in Canton, Ohio, because Dio Guardi's and, and Norsha's Bakery are what everybody wants. Right. Uh, you know, they, people remember Norsha's Bakery in the southeast end of Canton going to, mm -hmm. to get their bread in the morning. And then Dio Guardi's here um, off of market in Canton, uh, you know, to get their groceries. And now it's, you know, it, um, you know, the newest owner, Jeff Labowitz, has turned it into something even greater. And then Gabe's uh, Deli on Fulton Road to Gabe. Gabe is uh, from uh, Joe Gabriel, and he worked for uh, John and Rose Norsha in the bakery, and I met him when I was a little kid. Yeah, I, we got to get connected more and getting more people on here from the, uh, I didn't know you had so many connections. I got to twist yeah. your arm a little bit more. Um, so where did you grow up uh, in Canton? Canton, Ohio, the southwest section of Canton in the Lincoln High School District. So back in the day, just to give an idea for those who don't know or who are not familiar with Canton, there were four high schools. Four uh, high this, schools, right. Yeah, there were, um, the city was kind of divided in four quadrants and all depending on which quadrant you lived in, that's the high school that you went to. Except for Timken, which was a vocational high school, and you had to qualify to go there. You had to take a test, and you had to qualify in order to go to, to Timken because it was the vocational school. So no matter what section of the city you lived in, you could go there if you passed the test to get to go. Now, did you grow up in a neighborhood where there were Italians on your street or that there was the, uh, the Italian Catholic church there, or did you have to go someplace for No, there were Italians on my street. We had, a, had quite a mixture because we were in, uh, like in an industrial section because my father had his own business at our home and uh, he was in business for 30 years and it was called Rip's Bicycle uh, and trailer rental, and he got his name, his, it was his nickname, Rep, 
because he sold the repository newspaper from the time he was five until he was 18. He was one of the original uh, ex-newsboys and he has a uh, street corner was right across from Sterner Mann's. It was called the Brandt Building then. It, it's now a, a restaurant and a parking garage, but he would call, get your rep. And he did it for so long. That's how everybody oh, called him. Interesting, because his first name was John, but he he got the name Rip as a nickname because of that newspaper. What are some of your favorite memories growing up um, as a child in Canton that remind you uh, to this day of being Italian-American or something that pulls out that uh, you treasure about our culture? Well, going to my grandfather, Mazzarella, worked for my dad in his business and he would come to work in the morning. And then uh, I was always the one that would walk home with him because he lived on 12th Street Southeast in the St. Anthony's district. They belonged to St. Anthony's Church. And I would always be the one that could walk home with him because I was my dad's oldest child. And then my parents would come after me later on that evening. And that's how we, we were always had a connection with the uh, grandparents. And my grandmother, I, what I remember about her is making her own whole wheat noodles wow. and having them all over the kitchen to dry and then get tomatoes out of the garden for her own spaghetti. The, those types of things, I, I think uh, as someone my generation, you know, middle 30s, we don't realize what the true effort is to go into making a noodle or a sauce. Mm -hmm. We just go to the store and we buy it. Uh, yeah. But there's so much more behind those types of things. And I, now, would, go, I would go to my, with my grandmother when I was there, I would walk with her to uh, an Italian grocery store that was two blocks away. And uh, that was part of my, my uh, job to go with her when she went to the grocery store. And I remember one time, and I, I had to laugh at it later because, you know, being uh, here from Italy, she didn't understand English that well, but she, she went into the store. And I remember her saying that she wanted a, a spaghetti stay water go. And they didn't know what she was talking about, <laughs> but she wanted a colander is what she wanted. So that when you pour the spaghetti out of the pan that you were cooking it in, put it in the colander, the water would go and the spaghetti would stay. And that's how, the way she described it. She wanted the spaghetti stay water go. That is a Now, did your grandparents speak Italian to you? No, because I didn't live with them. My, my, uh, their oldest grandchild lived with them, and that was my dad's sister's daughter. And um, they, she, she spoke Italian with her grandparents. But I remember my grand, my grandfather was already here uh, when my grandmother came. My grandfather came in uh, 1908, and then my grandmother and her brother and Mrs. Diogardi, her sister. They all, the three of them came together, uh, like in 1911. And so, um, my grandfather was already here working and he was, uh, in cement contracting business. He helped building, uh, build Lincoln high school. Uh, he told me, and, uh, that's, that's the business that he was in. Mm -hmm. And then later on, when, after I was, 
born, of course, then he came and worked with my father. But I remember my grand, they, my grandmother had uh, one thing in, in her, her one goal. Her name was Pasqualina Mazzarella. Uh -huh. And she had to learn how to write it in cursive and spell it and say it in order to get her citizenship papers because she had to be able to sign her citizenship papers and she practiced and practiced and practiced. You know, um, I, because I noticed that on certain uh, citizenship papers, because I've gone through and researched my own, that what if the wife had to sign and they couldn't sign, they had to put an X and this is her mark. Right. Or so this she, is his mark. Worked, she worked on that every day yeah. to, to get her citizenship papers because she, and that was quite a long name to uh, remember to spell and to write. Now, um, I find Gretchen an interesting area because, uh, you know, so many people think, oh, Italians, uh, you know, it's pure, uh, there's just a certain thing that we think about it. But Gretchen, if someone uh, wants to verse themselves in the term Magna Greca or Greater Greece, and we've talked about mm -hmm. this too. Well, Gretchen is little Greece is what yeah. is, so, is you what know, it was. And, and actually... Culture, they weren't Italian. They were, they called them Jaeger, which is a Greek Italian. And yeah. so a lot of the people that lived right across the street from my parents, they didn't understand each other because they were Italian and my grandparents were Greek Italian. And so they were speaking the different languages. Came into play. Yeah. Yeah. So. What do you know, um, before we move on, because I always like to talk about, um, you know, where people's families come from, what else do you know about Greci um, that may have uh, influenced your, um, your understanding of being Italian-American? Well, they, uh, it's uh, in Avellino province, it's right near Naples, mm -hmm. um, and I remember my grandfather saying that even when uh, babies were born, they had to go to Naples to register because they lived on top of the mountain and Naples was down in the valley. And, uh, and when he was in the Italian army, everything had to be done through, through Naples, Italy. And uh, the, the culture was there. And uh, they, they uh, big family, my grandmother was the eldest of 24 children. I always, every time you say that, I always do that. That's, that's amazing. Twins, successive twins, 12 singles. 11 of them lived to adulthood from what I was told because when my, my uh, grandmother, her sister, uh, Mrs. Diogardi and uh, her brother, Leonard Pinella, they were the only three that came to this country. And so she never, she never went back. So she never saw her other brothers and sisters. And uh, she used to, you know, call out the names. But the thing was, my grandmother, Mrs. Diogardi, and Uncle Leo were they were when they started their families. They were having children, at, and her mother was still having children in Italy. So uh, you know, with all those children. Yeah. So when my brother John, who lives in Miami, Florida, he and his wife went to uh, Gretchen in 1988 when uh, on their um, 20th wedding anniversary. And he at, he called and asked me, he said, now, how am I going to find our relatives? And I said, well, I have a page out of the Gretchen phone book, which I will send you a copy of. And I said, all the people are listed on there. And I said, when you go to the village, 
you go to the police station uh -huh. and they should know where they are or the fire station they should know where they are but more importantly go to the post office uh -huh. that's what he did plus he took pictures of my grandparents and when he went and told them who he was and showed the pictures uh they got so excited because these were the people that went to america and so they got on the phone and start calling people from city hall and he said in one hour's time he said there were 108 people in the in the <laughs> building related to him well when your grandmother has 24 children in her family there's going to be a lot of a lot of people related to you <laughs> and then and then there was one couple who did not live in Gretchy and they they were on a train for six hours to come and see the relatives from America. Oh my gosh. Wow. So wow. they have a lot of relatives over there. Yeah, <laughs> and, you know that that's i've had my own experience of meeting relatives in the village but i can only imagine the overwhelmed feeling when you just start to see people come mm -hmm. in and you know that my mom always says this too back in the day you could only write a letter and the letter would take you know a month to two months to get there and then back the connection that we have here today where i can just tap in and have a zoom mm -hmm. it, it the you know it, the overwhelming feeling that he has, he felt the distance that maybe his mother had felt by no longer by not meeting right. her siblings or anything in that manner. Those are the moments that uh, right. completely blow my mind when people go back to the old country. Well, and see, and that was 1988 when my yeah. brother when my brother had his 20th wedding anniversary. So you can imagine how long it had been since my grandmother came here in 1911. Yeah, so it's been yeah. a long time and. Uh, when he and his wife were there, the three of those 24 children were still living. The rest of them weren't, and they, because it had been so long. But um, it was surprising to me, my brother took pictures. Uh -huh. And he had both sides of the family, the Mazzarellas and the Pinellas. And it was amazing to me how much they looked alike. So oh, I wow. just wondered about intermarriage or whether cousins yeah. married cousins or whatever, because when you looked at the pictures of them, they looked alike. Yeah, uh, you know, I think they say that too, uh, with most villages, like you don't have, uh, you know, in the old day when you didn't have transportation, you didn't have, uh, either you walked to the next village to meet somebody or you met somebody in the village that you right. had been related to. Yes, um, so, yeah, so going on then, so you went to, you went to Lincoln High School, correct? No, I didn't. Oh, I which, in, which high school did you I go to? I was in the Lincoln District, but I was one of those war babies when there were so many children born after, you know, during Second World War or after yeah. Second World War. And by the time I got to the point where I was going to the eighth grade, they didn't have room for us in the Duber, we had been in the Duber Elementary District. Yeah. So I had to go to Old McKinley. Oh. I, I, so I spent my eighth grade year and four years of high school at McKinley. So I got to the uh, opportunity to meet a whole group of other students other than the ones that lived in my section. I lived in the Southwest section. But when I went to McKinley, I had people from the Southeast where my grandparents had lived. I had people from the Northeast and people from the Northwest. So. I got to the advantage of, of knowing people from all four sections of the city. And then my dad having had his business, I met all kinds of people. 
Now, um, just to verse people who are listening, Canton is a unique uh, city. So um, I won't get too in-depth with it, but uh, it was nicknamed once upon a time Little Chicago because it's halfway in between New York and Chicago. Mm -hmm. And the southeast end of Canton was where the predominant Italian population settled in and around St. Anthony's, which is our home church for the lodge. Uh, So... You talk about the southeast end uh, of Canton, which is completely different to this day, but that's where you had the the population of Italian-Americans that have come through and they settled in and around the churches. Nowadays, the church, uh, the Catholic church I go to was German, uh, very little Italians in there. Uh, So that kind of experience for my generation is very different from your experience growing up. So what going from McKinley and growing up there, um, so what where did you decide to go next? Where did well, I went to college after yeah. graduating from McKinley. I went to Malone, uh, and it had been Cleveland Bible College, but when they decided to put the, the highway through uh, the college campus, they decided to move and they moved to Canton. And it went from Cleveland Bible College to be calling Malone because uh, the Malone family are the ones that were the ones that started Cleveland Bible College. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then after that, I went to Europe to study uh, European history and literature. I spent the summer of 1965 in nine countries in Europe studying uh, European history and literature. I took a six semester hour course. And then uh, after that, I went to the main campus at Kent State University to get my master's degree. And then after that, I attended classes at Akron University and Walsh University. So everybody in the area has my tuition money. (laughs) (laughs) So let let me back up here. So um, (laughs) where where did you, uh, which countries were you in in Europe? In Europe, I was Scotland, England, Germany, Switzerland, Italy, Yugoslavia, Greece, uh, France, Holland, and I I lived with the people. I did not go there as a tourist living at the Hilton. I wanted the experience (laughs) since I was teaching teaching European history uh, as a sixth grade teacher in the Canton City Schools. I wanted to see what it was really like and so I could teach the students. So I went and lived in private homes with the people so I could see what it was like. And I I lived in a youth hostage uh, hostel in um, uh, Scotland. And that was an experience. I lived in a private home in Holland. Um, I lived in the uh, Institute Commandi in in, uh, Italy. And it was, it was very interesting to live, to see the way the culture was because I wasn't there as an American tourist. I was there as an American student, but I was there living with people from that culture. Now, um, you talked about your brother's experience of going back to Italy. Um, is there anything that you'd like to touch on with your own experience of studying and working in Italy uh, during your time in Europe? Oh, well, he, he, can't, he knew that uh, what I had done because he was, he was uh, four years younger than I. And he, when he found out what I was doing, because after I went to all the, had all this experience, 
in all these countries and, and saw the way the, the, um, the people were uh, all connected, then I taught my students, when I came back, I taught my students how to uh, trace their own family tree. And I taught them about to learn about their culture. And the most important thing I told them is talk to people while they're here. Get first hand information. Don't wait until they're gone and then try to get it second or third hand. Because I told uh, Mrs. Diagardi, who was my great aunt, mm -hmm. my grandmother's sister, I kept telling her daughters and her sons talk to your mother while she's here because she lived to be 106 but they always thought they had time to talk to her and after she was gone they didn't have it but fortunately as one of my projects in my class where i was teaching people the students about these things uh, on her 100th birthday the entire year of her 100th birthday my students studied her life and they got to meet her. They got to go to her store. They made uh, birthday cards for her, which was October 12th. Uh, they went to her store on her birthday and she sat in the, on a chair and my students were on the floor all around her and they gave her the birthday cards and she was singing Italian songs to them in, in Italian and they were singing American songs to her in English, and they had no problem uh, getting along with each other. And it was like one big happy family. And uh, they, she gave each one of them a jar of her homemade Italian spaghetti sauce and meatballs. And the one thing she cautioned them about was eat it, enjoy it, but bring the jar back. <laughs> <laughs> because she wanted, she didn't want them to throw the jar away. She bring the jar back. But that entire year, they they studied her life uh, as part of this project we were doing. And at the end of the year, uh, they, her daughters brought her to Duber School where I was teaching. And I had all my students line up, and she was sitting there like the queen in the chair. <laughs> And they each got to meet her personally, of uh, this lady they'd been studying. And we, I had the Polaroid camera and took a picture of each one of them with her. And they got to keep that like a keepsake. And her, her daughters made pizzelles and bow tie cookies and punch. And they each got to have uh, a treat. And they, and they sang and they had a, and they, it was on the teacher's parking lot. They made all the teachers take their cars out of the parking lot. And that's where we did this. Uh -huh. And then I, I submitted the project to the Daughters of the American Revolution Project in American History. And it got first place in the oh, wow. uh, city of Canton, first place in the state of Ohio, first place in the Northeastern uh, United States, and first place in the nation for special projects in history. And the theme was a century, a century of living and serving. And that just fit her completely and that's what we did for our project and the, for each section that they where they got first place they also got a monetary uh, prize and they voted to take that money and donate it to the McKinley Museum history project so they donated their money to uh, the presidential library there and they also donated the project and we took her 
and her entire family, her children and her grandchildren and great-grandchildren. And we donated the project. And they told us at the McKinley Presidential Library that that was the first time that they had a project put into the library. And the person that it was about was there to give it to them. Wow. But she was 101 years old when we, when we gave it to them. What does, so that's, a, you, you and I have talked a lot. So that's really touching to, for me to hear. What do you think as an educator that did for your students? Because oh, they, yeah. they, they'll just never forget it because yeah. even today, if I see them, they'll, they'll remember and they still have the picture and they, and if they write to me, they, they mention that and they talk about it. And when she passed away at 106, they sent me cards and they were, they were still thinking about that because they said it was, it was first person. And it was, they were learning from the person themselves about their life. Mm -hmm. And then we, in the, in the, uh, discover world, as you're going into discover world in the McKinley museum, there's a big tree, like the tree of life, which would have been the family tree. And yeah. on there, there is a leaf and it says, uh, Duber school, fifth and sixth grade, because they, they got a leaf on the, the tree of life uh -huh. because of what they did for the project. Uh, wow. Um, you know, I'm a product of Canton City Schools, and I grew up in the Gibbs Elementary uh, area, so off of uh, 12th Street, but northeast side. And I truly, I didn't know what it meant to be Italian-American except for through my grandmother. And the education that you were able to show these kids, and it gets to my next question um, about racism or any sort of things that you have experienced, uh, historically Italian-Americans, and especially in this area, because it gets back to my um, comment about Canton being called Little Chicago. It's either mafioso, you know, or it's, oh, you're the Dago or the WAP or anything like that. You being an educator and having uh, the last name Mazzarella, what kind of things did you experience through the years that can be relatable to racism or any sort of hardships that you experienced? Well, I didn't have a problem because of being at McKinley High School where all four sections of the city were there. Mm -hmm. And had my parent, uh, grandparents living on 12th Street Southeast in St. Anthony's section, there were Jewish neighbors, there were black neighbors, there were Italian neighbors, there were German neighbors. It was like its own community there. Uh -huh. Well, I, you know, and then my father having his own business, he had all races of people coming there. And also on our street, we had Italians across the street, Italians up the street. We had black people down the street, across the street. So it was just a multi-nationality uh, experience that I had mm -hmm. and the thing was when I went into uh, teaching it didn't bother me because I I first of all taught at Dennis Smith which uh -huh. is a, which is where McKinley Senior High School is now and then I taught at Allen School which is in St. Anthony's District then I taught at Lathrop School and I was the only white person in the school picture all my students were black yeah and it didn't bother me because I had grown up with the experience of my grandparents who lived in that neighborhood. Interesting. In fact, the first time I went to a funeral parlor for 
visiting hours, it was a, a black neighbor that lived next door to my grandparents. Interesting, so, because, you know, for so many people uh, coming through, and especially for your generation, you're, um, I think now the assimilation uh, has almost uh, caused those those problems to disappear. Uh, you know, mm -hmm. for somebody my age, I would almost expect you to have experienced it. But you've almost had an, a, a very unique experience and also a unique experience teaching your students as well. Mm -hmm. Yes, because I've, I've had a, a, a quite a variety of students. Yeah. Really, I have. Um, what does it mean to be Italian-American to you? Well, I'm, I'm very proud of it and, uh, and the culture and carrying on the culture and, um, and knowing that I have relatives that are still in Italy that are related to me. And my, and my brother goes back every year you know, because they, they have uh, a reenactment of the, uh, in Gretchen of the history. And now I, it's down into the, uh, my cousin's children. They go back. In fact, I have one second cousin who says he wants to, when he retires, he wants to go over there and live. Wow. And then of course I have, um, uh, I was given the Gretchen flag and I was given, um, several things from Italy from people that uh, were members of my Sons of Italy Lodge or people that I knew from the Italian American festival experience and I gave those to the uh, cousin that wants to go over there and live and mm -hmm. he's got them uh, displayed at his store the grape and granary in Akron. Uh, when did you get started with the Sons and Daughters of Italy and America Lodge? 1986 uh, is when I became a member. My mother was already a member. Uh, she had become a member because Miss Rose Capistrain, who was the mother of the Capistrains who had the jewelry department or the jewelry store. My mother was sponsored by Rose Capistrain and then my mother convinced me that I should be a member also. And then Frank Torrey, uh, the president of the Sons of Italy at the time, I. Of all things, I met him at the at the uh, picnic at the Swiss Church on Henry Avenue, and um, and where they had uh, all these people coming together, and so um, that's when I became a member. And immediately, uh, they made me his the historian of the Sons of Italy because of my because I had a major teaching field in history, and then uh, I I served as historian. Then I was recording secretary for four years. Then I was vice president for two years. Then I was president for six years. And then after being president for six years, then uh, I was elected um, a state trustee. And so I served on the state level uh, as a trustee and uh, Alzheimer's chairperson also. What? What is the importance of this lodge to you and to for the outreach of the Italian American culture for others within the area? Well, being a historian, first of all, I looked up the history mm -hmm. and I found out a lot of my teachers that I had had at McKinley and several of them were Italian, Mr. Rossetti, Mr. Angelo. Um, I found out that they were original members because the lodge was founded in 1916. 
and they were original members. And in looking through the history, I found uh, a lot of things that they had done when they were in active. And in the beginning, the lodge did things for the Italian immigrants that they couldn't do for themselves because we had teachers especially. And these teachers that I knew who would, uh, anytime that people got a letter or they ha had a problem, they would come to these teachers and they would uh, translate for them and they would help them. And if there were lawyers, they would help them. And uh, I had a lot of those papers. And uh, so that helped. And then um, I decided when I became president that I was going to, going to do something called the Italian moment, which they hadn't had uh, as far as I could see in studying the history. So I, I uh, thought, well, you know, we can't just have a business meeting. We've got to do something besides that because this is culture and history. And that was one of the basic things with the Sons of Italy is we were to continue the culture and history of the Italian uh, people. So I started the Italian moment and um, it, was, it went over so well that the rest of the state lodges decided they would do it also. So they've, they've done that. Now you are our lodge's first female president. What does that mean to you for that achievement? Well, uh, I was very proud of that. And um, Dominic Lepore, who was one of our uh, uh, presidents, when I joined, he, he was maybe the third president down when I, when I joined after Frank Torrey. And he was always telling me, you need, to, you need to get involved. You need to be, eventually be a president. And so um, I did that. And by the time he was, uh, by the time I became president, he had passed away, Frank Torrey had passed away. A lot of them had passed away. And I, and, uh, I remember the day that, uh, I, that I took office, I told them there were a lot of Italians sh uh, smiling down from heaven because of what happened. Mm -hmm. And then I, each time that I had a meeting, I always had a display table set up in the meeting. And I would always have some display that did had something to do with Italian culture. And mm -hmm. I always had that displayed. So pe when people came in, they could see that and they could remember. And then I also had photographs uh, that we took and made posters. And then I had um, like on Mother's Day, I made sure that each of the mothers had a, had a flower. When they came in, we gave them a flower. Uh, I worked with veterans at McKinley Healthcare Center as a volunteer. So I, when I, on Veterans Day, I would have uh, all of my veterans in the Sons of Italy would come forward and, and be recognized and talk about their experience in the military. And I always made sure that they had something patriotic as a favor to take home with them to remember. And, um, and I, would ha I had speakers come in that had to do with uh, Italian history and then I had an Italian um, craft show. I had all of, I uh, talked to all of my uh, members and I had them tell me, you know, what, what's your hobby? What do you do when yeah. you're not working and when you're not at the, uh, at the uh, meeting? What do you do? 
And so we had one whole meeting that was nothing but all tables set up and my, and my uh, members were there talking about their hobbies and showing the things that they did. And the women had you know, special lacewear that they had and the men had woodworking things. And so I always tried to bring in the Italian culture and heritage. That was the most important thing we did. Then we had the business meeting or we'd have the business meeting and then we would have the Italian culture and heritage because the pe and the people said they never knew what I was gonna do next. And I remember, especially the one time um, we had a meeting on Columbus Day and I showed up dressed like Columbus. <laughs> and they didn't know what to think. That was when Dominic Lepore was president. And I just came in and I was Christopher Columbus because that's what I did in my classes when I was teaching history because uh, I would dress up like a character. I was Betsy Ross, I was Daniel Boone, I was David Crockett, you know, you name it, I, that's what I did. And I got my students involved. So it was hands-on first person. And so that's what I did at uh, the Sons of Italy. And um, as a result of that, I was American History Teacher of the Year for the City of Canton, Teacher of the Year for the City of Canton, American History Teacher of the Year for the City of Canton, the state of Ohio and the East Central United States. Oh my gosh. Wow. Oh, the things you learned. Um I want you to touch on the Purple Aster Award because I think our lodge is unique with the, with the amount of award winners we've had. What is the Purple Aster? And then talk about your own achievement and then you can touch on those who have also achieved in the lodge as well. The uh, Purple Aster Award is the highest award given by the Sons of Italy uh, for a person in their field of, of expertise. And there's uh, business, law, art, uh, education. I was the first person in it uh, that got it for education. And I was nominated by uh, the members of my lodge. And um, I received the honor. And that was in 2003. And then in 2005, I in turn nominated people and that year we, ha uh, we had uh, Papa Bear, uh, the Pedro from the pizza oven, Joe got it. And um, we had uh, a, a college professor, a teacher uh, got it. And then we had a, a lawyer got it. And so we had, we had four, four members of our lodge who got the Purple Aster Award, which is the highest award you can get in your field of uh, endeavor. And that, that was outstanding for our lodge. And the thing is, uh, I, like I said, I got it in 2003. In 2005, three people got it and they were all from our lodge which for is, the entire state of Ohio. Which is outstanding. And I'm going to ask Holly to join in. So Holly, if you want to scoot over because it's, we're going to touch more um, on where are we going? Um, and Marion, you please chime in as well. And what does our future prospects look like being Italian American for the next generation? Um, so Marion, you were the first female president. We had um, the second female president in between you two. If you want to uh, talk a little bit about her legacy 
And then Holly, you can talk about where we currently are as a lodge as well. Oh, well, and I, when I was president, we had 500 members mm -hmm. and we got an award from the state of Ohio and from the national Sons of Italy because we had so many members. And one thing that I didn't mention also, we also got an award when I was president as one of the top, we had, they, when they had the 100th anniversary, we uh, one of the top 100 lodges in the entire country. And our, our lodge and Akron both got that award, but I had, to, I had to write up a whole history of the lodge and submit it you know, to the national, mm -hmm. but we, we were able to do that. Um, in between you two, we had Mrs. Pickley. Right. Um, what is her present or what has her legacy been on the lodge? Because I like well, to focus on female power as well. Well, first of all, she and her husband were from New York, from Staten Island. And when they, her husband worked for Goodyear. And when he got transferred to Akron, then they moved here and they got, a, they moved to North Canton. and. Uh, one of the things they wanted to do was to get involved with the Italian culture and the Italian community. And they felt the way to do that was to join the Sons of Italy. And that's mm -hmm. what they did. And that was when uh, Dominic Lepore was president. And he found out that uh, Marie Piccoli was the, uh, had worked with numbers. She had been a, a mathematician and a, an accountant. accountant yeah. And so he uh, got her convinced that she should be our treasurer. And she was our treasurer for many, many years until, in fact, she was our treasurer until she became president she, because she did such, such a good job with it. And so that's how she became. And then she, uh, as I said, was our second president. And then after she uh, left, then her husband took over. And he served one year and then he, he was had illness, so he had to quit. But um, we wanted to continue that. So we've had this, we're on our third female president, but we've had a lot of presidents since, since 1916 and only three of them have been women. And, you know, I, I think something is special because we as females are the ones who carry on the story or traditionally within mm -hmm. the culture are the ones who carry on the story so what are what are our barriers because i am the vice or the current vice president of the lodge and i can voice our barriers but i this is going to build upon where i want to go with this podcast as well what do you think the current barriers of the lodge are well, we have several uh, people that are in the nursing home who are not able to come to meetings anymore. We have a lot of elderly people. Um, when I was president, we still had charter members that mm -hmm. had been members since 1916. And they were all men because they didn't let women become mm -hmm. members until 1962. Women were allowed to come and cook and clean and serve but they weren't allowed to be in the meetings and have make any decisions. So, so, so how are you going to get a woman president? Because if they're not allowed to be there and they're, yeah. all, they're all yeah. the servants. Yeah. yeah. So this, this comes on to my next question because we, I, we are struggling to get members and we are struggling for my generation to take an active role within their culture. And, and you and I have talked too 
my generation now, my grandparents and great grandparents were from Italy. We have, we have assimilated so much that we really don't understand what Italian American or what it means to be Italian American. What is your recommendation for my generation to get involved in the culture? Well, one of the things that I have noticed in, in all the working that I've done with, with uh, my students and, and with the Sons of Italy was when they came here, they were Italians who had come to America. Their children were Italians that were born in America, so they were Americans. Their grandchildren were Italian-Americans. Their great-grandchildren are Americans with an Italian background. That's, that's how it's changed. We're Americans, but our, but our heritage is Italian. We're not, we're not saying we're Italian and we're in a new country. Mm -hmm. Americans, and, our, and they refer to the old country as Italy. What is your suggestion or recommendation for my generation to rediscover their Italian-American? Re well, rediscover their their heritage because that's all part of this podcast is what can we do to rediscover well the most important thing is that you have to get your children interested in becoming members of sons of italy to preserve the culture because i have no i've served on the scholarships selection committee all the years i've been in the in the lodge and the one thing that i've always wondered about is we raise the money, we give them a scholarship, we help them, but they don't ever decide that they're going to become members. Mm -hmm. And that, that something has to change there where, you know, that they should be a member of the lodge. And they, you know, they can apply for their own scholarship if they're a member of the lodge, but we can't get them to be a member of the lodge because the young people... The, like I said, the young people are Americans. They don't, they aren't looking at that. Mm -hmm. They aren't looking at what happened, you know, before. In fact, uh, in today's culture, they will tell you, even in, in the schools, that if it didn't happen during the 18 years the kids were in school, it's not relevant to them. And that's sad because, you know, and I've seen that with September 11th, that those who are now coming up, I sat in the eighth grade when September 11th happened, and that I'm now meeting young adults who don't even know what September 11th meant. To right, them. right. And well, that, that's something crazy. And the thing is, having been, you know, so involved in, in being a history teacher, they don't even teach history anymore. They teach social studies, which instead of teaching historical facts, they're teaching people how to interact with each other, how to get along with each other without killing each other. And if you listen to the radio, the television, or read the newspaper, you'll find out it hasn't worked because, yeah. because they're, they're, I mean, they're giving full page uh, articles to you know, the latest murder. What is your, do you have any recommendations, Holly, on how the next generation can get involved? Because um, this is more or less a plea because we are one of the oldest uh, lodges still around in the state of Ohio. 
And we are on the verge in the next five years, if something doesn't change of no longer being here. Do you have anything for, to suggest? Well, right now for the last several years, we have been giving free, there is no um, payment for youngsters 16 through 21 to become members. Um, the Grand Lodge of Ohio and our lodge pays their dues. So, I mean, you're getting a freebie there. Uh, and yeah. we have several youngsters. We have attached that to scholarships. If you want a scholarship, we make you a member until you're 21. Um, unfortunately, after they're 21 and then they have to pay their own dues, we don't see them. And, and some of that can be attributed to you know, they're finishing college, they're getting a job, maybe they don't live in the area, you know, the job may not be here, they have to move. But there are some youngsters who do live in the area and we don't see them. And, you, you know, know, you know uh, it's, not, it's not like it is that astronomical of a, of a price to pay. Don't drink a Starbucks cup or coffee for, right. you, know, uh, you know, for several weeks in a row and then there you go, you got your, you got your dues for the year because... And yeah. And I encourage people to participate. It's not that we make you a member and you just sit on the shelf in your number, you know, that we count up. Um, and I was talking just to uh, an older member and well, they didn't participate. And I said, well, would you like to, I've got committees that you can be on. I'd love to have you. And, you know, it was, well, they didn't want to get involved. You know, it's very difficult. Um, I think there is so much today. And I think one avenue is what we're doing right now with these podcasts. Um, what I see is there, that is the way we are going, um, you know, through media, through um, Facebook and podcasts and um, things like that. So I think we're going to have to use that to advertise ourselves. And what I have gotten or have received is various persons who have said they've listened to your podcast. And then, you know, they have looked up my name and email and asked to join. So of course, I immediately say, yes, you're welcome and email them back uh, an application. Yeah. They have gotten several. Good, good. And I'm happy to hear that because I think my our whole goal here is to carry on to the next generation. A, Marion, what you said is talk to people while they are alive because uh, you know we will lose their story and we will lose uh, my generation, as I've coined it in other podcasts, is the rediscovery generation we, where we need to rediscover what we've had lost through the assimilation. We need to talk to those who have the stories and you have such a unique story, but then we also, everybody has a smartphone now. Everybody can just tap in and press play. And it's not like we're ignoring you um, or anything, but you know, it, it takes, you can do it while you're working out, listen to what we have to say. And then what can you do to, to bounce back and extend that outreach for the culture into the community? We need people who are willing to tell their story to the community that are willing to outreach and say, these are the things that are from where my family is from. These are the different cultures. This is the food. Um, I think my generation also doesn't realize what true Italian American food is. I think they've gotten lost within uh, Olive Garden and Pizza Hut. <laughs> Chef Boyardee. <laughs> Chef Boyardee too. And I'm like, hey, but we can't knack that because Chef Boyardee is from Ohio. So, you know, we have a special, we have a special group of Italians here. To the individual family, because like I taught, my children are all adults now. 
but I can say things to them in Italian and they'll stop and listen. Whereas yeah. I have cousins, they were the, the children of the youngest member of my mother's family. Well, when she came along, they decided in the family that she wasn't going to be Italian. And so they made her the first American child out of six, well, seven or more, but six survived to adulthood. And these cousins come over and, and they're really sweet. I love them dearly, but they don't know Italian and I'll say something to them. And we have, you know, not difficulty, but they want to know things. I'll say, by the way, did you know? And they'll, they'll say, no, they didn't. Because yeah. the mother didn't teach them because they didn't want her mm -hmm. Because where we lived, there was such a stigma to being Italian that, you know, you wanted to shed that as soon as you could. Now, my aunt was looked Italian. She was a beautiful woman with dark hair and olive skin. But she went by the name of Jane instead of Joanna Carmina. So, you know, um, that those are why partly we are losing our culture too because i you know marionette i think you had a unique experience of not having those types of like um racism or assimilation problems as other families did uh you know my own mother it's like no you're an american now you speak english yes yeah uh and my mother didn't learn how to speak italian until she watched yeah. the godfather movie uh, you know, which is a unique experience within itself alone. But, you know, please, uh, as we get to the end of this podcast episode, please don't be afraid to talk to those who still have a voice, get the uniqueness behind it. And is there anything else that you two ladies would like to touch on um, as we end this episode? Well, we have, we have the oldest um, member of our family right now is, uh, Mrs. Diogardi's youngest daughter, Dorothy, mm -hmm. and she's in her 90s. And she is, you know, she's the person, if I have a question, I'll, I'll call her and ask her. And uh, because she's the first person, my, my own aunt just passed away a month ago, and she was 100. And she was my dad's youngest sister. So that whole section, that whole family is gone, you know. And, um, but she's the, she's the, you know, the matriarch now. And she is, uh, she moved from her own home up to uh, assisted living, or she's in independent living at Danbury. And, uh, you know, if I have a question and I don't know the answer, because people, my, my own generation, they'll call me and ask me because they say, well, you're the one that did all this stuff. Yeah. And if I don't know, I'll call her and then yeah. she can, you know. So that's, but you have to, you have to do it while they're here. You can't, you can't say afterwards, oh, I wish I would have, you know, because you can go to the cemetery and talk to the tombstone, but they're not going to answer. Yeah, and I, I'm, I'm the older person in my family. I'm now 71, but I'm kind of removed from everybody because we're scattered all over the country. Mm -hmm. So, and the generation that either came from Italy or would have known past myself, as Marion said, they're not here. You can go talk to the tombstones. Yeah. Well, and the thing was, when they came, they stayed together yes. too. They didn't go because I have I have a niece that lives in Switzerland. I have a mm -hmm. nephew that lives in Seattle that I True. and I don't see them. And, and I have the a same brother that lives in Florida. You know, 
and you just they're just not there because yes. before you know they might all live in the same house even yeah but not nice now town. yeah you know outreach 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 because you can always find a community an italian american community even though it may not be from your own ancestral village or own ancestral area you never know what kind of stories that you can come across uh, any kind of traditions that you may like that wasn't a part of your own experience growing up and you can incorporate them in look i'm i'm 35 years old there are things that my own family never did that i've picked up from other people that i love to express about the Italian American culture uh, that I carry on. I've, I've adopted them as my own. So please, as always, uh, as I end this episode, I always invite anyone who is listening to, they're more than welcome to reach out to me if they want to be interviewed. Uh, if you're interested in becoming a member of our lodge or any lodge that is around you, reach out to us and we'll get you connected to wherever you may be or want to go because there are other lodges that are looking to gain membership and outreach into the community. And as always, as I end every episode, ciao tutti.